Hello, my name is Tucker Johnson, and I'm your host today as we experience NIMSY Live, where we talk about the latest and greatest in translation, localization, internationalization, culturalization, and all that fun stuff global companies need to delight their international customers, or at least not to piss them off too much. On this program, we... I all, uh, excuse me. On this program, we invite guests who like to have fun and have some value to add for our audience of globalization professionals. I'm always eager to provide a platform to those with a good story or a good data set. So let us know if there are any topics you would like covered or guests that we should reach out to for future episodes. If you haven't already done so, make sure that you're following so or subscribed to Nimsy Insights on your platform of choice. We're coming to you live on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube today. I believe. And before we get started, I just want to give a quick plug to Multilingual Magazine because the guests that we have today have recently been featured in Multilingual Magazine and available in the print issue, as we see here. And if you're not already subscribed to Multilingual Magazine, it is a wonderful publication. It comes out once a month, right to your doorstep, to your office, to your home, wherever you'd like it to happen. We also have digital subscriptions available so make sure that you're checking that out over at multilingual.com is where you can find more information about that a little bit about the platform most people join us on linkedin for the live events but after the live event this is going to be published on youtube is where we hold all of our past episodes also uh published as a podcast so if you're more of a podcast person then you can find nimsy live as well as other great podcasts from nimsy insights and multilingual magazine wherever you get your podcasts so let's introduce the topic today we're talking about tool assisted hyperlocalization, and we've got some very qualified guests to talk about this Hyperlocalization is an increasingly important part of the globalization localization industries. What is hyperlocalization? How does it help improve trust with customers? How can I leverage technology to support hyperlocalization workflows? Today, we got Tim Jung and Josh Pine from Exalate, and we're going to be exploring important considerations that LSPs and others must make when working with dialectical and cultural variances within the same country. And as I mentioned, if you are a subscriber to Multilingual Magazine, you can go check out the digital subscription or the print subscription online and read the full story. Introducing our, test, our, our guest today, we have Tim Jung. Tim Jung is a founder and CEO over at XLA, a machine translation services provider. He earned a PhD in computer sciences at Columbia University in 2015 and worked as a staff software engineer at Google for several years. We also have Josh Pine, who is a media and entertainment industry veteran with 25 years of experience leading global business operations and sales. He currently serves as the chief revenue officer at Exalate and has held senior roles at Sony Pictures, Sony Corporations, Technicolor, and other major corporations. Tim and Josh, welcome to the show. Did I get that right? You yep. did. That was impressive. <laughs> Good. Well, we actually have, I wanted to, I was, my original plan was to ask you guys a little bit more about Exalate, but we have a wonderful little intro video here. If you don't mind, I can kick this off so that people know who we're talking about here. Do you mind if I play your, your pitch, your pitch video here? Right on. Yeah, please do. All right, let's do it. 안녕하세요. 전 세계에서 유일하게 미디어에 특화된 기계 번역을 하는 엑셀라이트입니다. 
okay, you probably wouldn't understand what I just said. And that is exactly the problem you're solving. I'm Tim, CEO of Accelerate, the only machine translation company specializing in media and entertainment content translation. So people ask, wait, isn't Google doing machine translation very well? No, the answer is no, not even close. And I'll tell you why today. So let's start from why we started AI translation for media. Thanks to the global recognition of foreign quality content, more content than ever is being localized to many different languages. Along with the 18% annual growth in the media market size, the demand for subtitling and dubbing is exploding. The problem is, however, the number of translators is limited. While the demand has been increasing by 26% year over year, translators are being added only by 2% annually, thus leaving a serious gap between the supply and the demand. So we are solving this problem with our AI, closely working with our LSB partners. In the traditional workflow, they had one human translator to translate the video and had multiple layers of quality control who fixes any errors to deliver perfect results to their customers. Now, LSBs are using Excelite for the first pass and keep the QCRs who can still fix any errors from the machine and deliver perfect results to their customers. More importantly, we are getting all these corrections back to our engines. And also, the overall accuracy is now over 50%, I mean 70%. While even there are certain language pairs, we are kind of achieving over 90% accuracy as well. Compared to Google, which is kind of disappointing 50%. Now, LSPs are saving 30% of their translation costs and lead time by using XLA. So with a SaaS model, we are servicing LSPs, OTT channels, event platforms, broadcast companies, and metaverses. As of now, we are translating over 20,000 paid content hours. Based on these uh, customers, we are making around 1.8 million annual revenue and also, we are now backed by two VCs after the foundation in Silicon Valley. Thanks to the support, now we built a perfect combination of tech experts and media industry veterans. Now led by CEO from Google, CTO from Apple, and CRO from Sony. <coughs> to sum up, XLAD is uniquely delivering AI translation for media content with the absolutely highest accuracy for media localization live subtitling, and speech translation. Please contact us for our partnership using our service or investment. Thank you so much for listening. I'm happy to meet you in person. I think that is as good of intro, as I, good of intro as I could have provided. I, so, want, I want to clap. Thank you. Right? <laughs> so you guys have been busy over there. You've built quite the little operation for yourself. Yes, it is. Very cool. And tell me a little bit about who are, who are your clients currently so for, for those listening out there? Like, who, who are you working with primarily? So we started as an AI company for LSPs. Uh, it's been around three years and a half. And uh, still our primary customers are language service providers who are translating media content or videos for educational platforms. But they are using our machine translation to do first pass translation and then they do post edit to deliver perfect results to their customers. We're expanding our uh, market into uh, real-time translation or fast market as well, so that people are trying to use machine translation 
and with uh, limited uh, efforts on post-editing there. So that's kind of new market opening for us. So you're basically yeah, just a little expansion on yeah, Josh. Now, just a little expansion on that. The we, you know we know that the what's called the fast market that Tim alluded to, which is you know in the in the TV streaming world, is the the free advertising supported television, and it's really TV all over again, life after cable with you know a, a massive bandwidth of of channels, thousands and thousands and thousands of of free streaming advertising channels out there, and not all of it is is brand new. Um, tentpole title Hollywood content. It's massive catalog and special interest and kids and, and other types of content that is being distributed globally. And the the growth in that area is happening so fast that that there's just not enough linguists to keep up. Right. So we, it, think we see that as a, as a big new market for us. It, it's, it's huge. Ever since this, you know, what they call OTT, over-the-top um, providers, right. so these streaming services out there like Netflix, and all of them have their own um, – their own forms are yeah and it's their- way beyond that it's 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 the tubi it's it's pluto and and peacock and you know sky in europe and 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 all of these uh, you know samsung tv uh vizio smartcast all that all that you know, roku all the free stuff that we're watching even though it has commercials it's it's growing exponentially compared to to the the spod side of the business Right, and like for the one of the first times in in history, we, there's not enough translators, right? So the, <laughs> the, the, the content keeps growing, and the translator pool. If I were to be generous, I would say that it's staying the same. But I think that's being generous because what what our research shows is a lot of translators are actually leaving the industry just because of all of the stuff, you know, the, the constant downward pressure on rates. Well, not necessarily downward, but if you think about it, rates have remained the same for translators for the last 20 years, and inflation hasn't. <laughs> so right. a lot of translators are just leaving the industry. So the the natural answer to that problem is, well, we need automation. We need tran- um, machine translation. We need artificial intelligence. And I, I think, yeah, and that's right. a good yeah. – yeah. And, and that's a good point. We, we built our uh, we, we built the system, and this is really important to convey. We built the system not to take away translators' jobs, but to actually expand them to expand their workflow and their bandwidth. What a translator might be able to get out in three days on in one title can now take, um, you know, three titles in one day. And and to me, that's a that when you don't have enough translators, that that's a job saving thing and actually a job expansion thing. And that that that's where we've kind of concentrated building this around to to expand the the industry and to expand the workflows of, that are necessary to handle all this demand. So on top of the financial challenges the translators are facing, uh, there are a few more factors actually that is changing the landscape there. Uh, our high hypothesis is uh, the video market size is growing super fast, and also there are more demand for localization because. People started recognizing where there are good quality content overseas, as well as now I can understand with the subtitles. So people started watching more shows globally from Korea, from Japan, from Turkey, from South America, all other countries too. So previously, localization traditionally has been from Hollywood to all you know countries around the world. Now it's from all other countries to all other countries. So it's kind of like exponential growth in there on demand. Yeah, and, and that's particularly notable for me being an American is, you know, growing up 
like only the weird drama kids watched foreign films, right? Right. Like, we went down to the local cinema on, a, on the foreign cinema on a Friday night, and maybe it was half full at best. Exactly. Exactly. And nowadays, it's totally not uncommon to be watching on Netflix, you know, films from South Korea, films from India, even films from all over the place. So it's not well, just that's the thing. Good content is good. Good content is good content. And, yeah. and, and I keep saying this, if there's any, and it sounds like an oxymoron, I guess, but if there's any benefit that came out of COVID, it's that we all stayed home and started watching all this content and realized, wait, there's good stuff from everywhere. Yeah. Now that you mention it, the this really does kind of co this phenomenon really does kind of coincide with COVID, does it? I think that's when a, a, lot, yeah, a yeah. lot of people <laughs> were stuck at home going through their Netflix library, and yeah. you know they finished. Guess what? We're not Tiger going. King. And we're not going back. We're not going back. We're not going back the other way. I mean, it's the the um, expansion of global content in in all these different languages and all these different countries. It's part of who we are now. It's part of our fabric. Right. Well, and this takes us to the how how you guys are approaching this problem. Like as you mentioned, just to be clear, your goal is certainly not to replace translators by any um, by any means. But what you do want to do is provide those translators the tools that they need to be able to do more with less, essentially. And this takes us to the article on multilingual that I'd like to go through. It's called "Right Tools Plus Right Times Equals." right workflow and once again that's in the april edition for those of you that have have it at home and are following along at home and i pulled up some quotes here that i wanted to just go over and ask you know maybe we can expand upon these a little bit let me get all set up here i should be ready for this but i'm not all right so we start off the article with in theory, translating hyperlocalized content should be simple in terms of process and steps. In reality, though, successful translating, successfully translating hyperlocalized content is a highly complex process that requires the right combination of tools, workflow, and personnel to execute. And I, I like this because it recognizes the theory versus the reality of it, because I think people have a very specific idea in mind of what the workflow and process should look like. And in reality, that's that's not exactly what it is. What are some of the big, like, what's the delta there between the theory and the reality that y'all have seen? Well, people have this tendency to make things simple so that they can easily understand and grasp. But in reality, uh, many things that didn't kind of like, couldn't we, you know, we couldn't anticipate in, you know, before beginning the project happens. Something like uh, once you deliver a translated subtitle for a video, your customer requested, right? And they do. They were supposed to do some uh, quality check on their end, and then ask us to re-deliver to a certain part. But at the end of the day, uh, we can actually follow the schedule they originally gave us to follow. But what happens is kind of they sometimes kind of like we thought it's finished, but they come back and later and then say, well, this part is wrong, and then we have to do something again. Or sometimes um, they they say, well, this is a uh, new request we know, but you know, we added the videos, so you actually have to adjust your time code and then you know post edit again your uh, subtitles to fit and sync with the video we now have in the different version. So these are all the challenges uh, LSPs uh, kind of have been having, uh, not just for hyperlocalization. It's just kind of like 
the entire localization process is a mess and the workflow is very difficult. And that's why many translation management project or translation project management system have like very difficult workflows that you have to follow. So, uh, and another problem there is we don't have any standard there because every customer requires their own, you know, to follow their own process and then they have different ways to do things. So uh, it's kind of a very difficult for uh, language service providers to follow all these different customers. And now it has been many decades and then it's, it's been part of their assets. They know how to work with this you know, particular customers and how to do things for their customers, right? But now the challenge is kind of like hyperlocalization when it comes to, uh, you need to deliver things in, in particular more with uh, the proper dialects, proper formalities, proper slang, for the particular region that you're delivering. Yeah, let's let's uh, just let's just pause for a sec. Sorry to interrupt, but I don't want to assume that everybody that's listening knows what hyperlocalization is. So, could you give us just a solid definition of what that means when we're talking about hyperlocalization? All right, taking a step back. Um, well, there. No, I think we need to make sure we are on the same page regarding terminologies. So, uh, well, there's terminology called the internalization versus the localization. While the, uh, according to the official definition, internalization is making your product internationally available. So international customer can use your, your product, more probably material, solid products. While localization has been used for localizing content so that global audiences can watch your content. But I do see these are not really separate terms based on the product or target product. But it's more of like you know, each step in the how how much you are hyper localizing the content or anything any product of yours, right? So when you have a bare product which is not localized at all, it's kind of a bare product. When you kind of apply some translation in the minimum level, then we can call it internalization. So people from the you know, global market can try to use it, but it's not really tailor made for their local cultures, dialects, formalities, anything else. Localization is where we consider the regional cultural differences. So we actually make it fit for the local customers there. So how we kind of translate content, not only for the entire English users, but it could be UK English versus US English or some other uh, countries uh, or for Spanish, it's, they, they have all dialects, right? So these are to a certain level we are calling localization, but uh, when it comes to hyperlocalization, even within a region, for instance, within English, you know, we have a different accents and different terminologies, different vocabularies we are using in the West Coast versus the East Coast or Middle West. So these are what we call hyperlocalization. It's more more uh, tailor made for specific region for hyperlocalization. But one step further. Uh, we can even imagine uh, going forward what we can do is personalization, right? It, even hyperlocalization or uh, personalization has been available for uh, localizing content because we have no means to deliver this content per very hyperlocal areas or per person, right? But as we are developing all these kind of detailed platforms where we have more uh, tailor-made content for your the viewers, regional viewers or personal viewers, we can actually start doing this. And then it's not only applicable for uh, media content, but also for marketing other materials too. Anything you can consume. Yeah, more more data, more metadata allows us to get more and more targeted in our marketing approach. And let's that takes us off to our next quote here. It says, 
there are clear benefits to the right hyperlocalization approach. According to a 2021 state of personalization survey conducted by research firm Segment, more than half or 60% of consumers say they would likely become repeat buyers after a personalized shopping experience with a retailer, up from 44% in 2017. These findings also coincide with the world's emergence from the COVID pandemic, a time when nearly everyone globally was forced into a hyperlocal mindset due to lockdowns. It's no surprise that these habits are likely to remain in the long term. And what I, I take away from this is that consumers are cons- maybe want this is not the best way of looking at it, but c- consumers are actually beginning to expect a hyper-localized or to use this terminology, a hyper-personalized, a personalized experience. And my, my question to you is like, this all sounds well and good, but you're guys, you're a tech company, right? And when I think of hyper-localization, when I think of personalization, I think of that as being a very human-driven task. You know, it's personal. I need to get to know people on a personal level. I need to adapt things to different cultures. How the heck are you bringing technology into that space without just mucking everything up? Uh, it's a very good question. It's all based on the data and then, you know, customer interactions, right? So uh, as explained in the code, uh, well, to give a simple example, you have a, a global supply chain, maybe uh, grocery stores that has been growing. So now we are going international and then doing localization. So you have different names, you know, localized names and currencies for the product you're selling. But if you actually do the market research even further, you can actually know well, in this town, you can sell more of like uh, vegetables. In this town, you can sell more of fruits, right? So these can be hyper-localization. And these can be achievable only based on the data, right? For instance, we are supplying AI translation. And then people are using our AI service. If we just end there, then we won't be able to do hyper-localization. But we also offer a platform where they can do post-editing, right? They mm-hmm. engage their own translators to uh, improve the, the, the overall quality of the translation the AI engine gave you previously. And then these results actually can be utilized for your own good. For the next translation you're using for the same content or for the same series, the previous post-editing can be applied in, in real time, you know, inference time. So that the next translation you're doing for the next series of the same, uh, next episode of the same series, then that will be more tailor-made toward the, the the style, the way that you wanted it to be. So it's learning. Yeah, to, and to, yeah, and to, so to add to that a little bit, you know, we work as we said before with a lot of the major LSPs around the world, and a lot of those are regional or have regional um, uh, offices around the world. So let's say we work with an LSP that might be based here in the U.S., right? And they have a they have a locale, let's say in Argentina, and another one in Mexico City, and and another one um, in Brazil. Well, Brazil's Portuguese. Let's just stay with Spanish for a second. Let's say Colombia. So we know that the dialects between Argentina and Colombia, and even in the U.S. and Miami and and other California, right? The dialects are in Mexico are greatly, greatly varied and, and different. So even within one LSP customer that has all these offices around the world, where we're taking their data from their um, lo- local offices in each of these countries, we can separate and know those dialects from those offices and train our engines based on the regionality of those specific locations within those LSPs and train the engines based on 
the, lo the locales, not just as a as a total customer, but within their regional uh, offices. And, and so not only the quality of the personalization helps the customers, but also the data is segregated for their own use can also um, guarantee them this data is not benefiting other customers. So it's actually for their own good. So in which case we can also kind of say, it's, you know, in the secure security wise, this is actually good for our customers for use. So I'm wondering, you're saying all of this, we're talking about markets, we're talking about end customers and stuff like that. But yet in your introduction, you mentioned that you work with LSPs as your primary clients and you're engaging with them. Is this something that would also be relevant to um, talk to the end buyers about? Because it seems something that's pretty close to their core competencies or at least their marketing department's core competencies. Yeah, of course. Uh, as long as we have this feedback loop from the users, you know, uh, for that, you know, the marketing industry or marketing market itself is kind of a, an example there. So as long as we have data, we can feed it back the user's behavior, right? In, in LSP's use case, uh, we are getting post-edited results from the translators and then let them utilize the benefit of using the data for their own good. For marketing or other digital platforms, we have this interaction feedback from the viewers, from the uh, the people, internet users who are engaged with the ads in the marketing platform, for instance. We know how you know, the CTL click-through rate or the uh, exposures, so we can actually see how uh, well this particular hyperlocalization result is affecting them. So these are kind of like a good feedback loop where we can actually improve the, the engines or translation quality overall this workflows as well. Yeah, and and what we see is when you talk about the end user, um, we're seeing an emergence of, you know, user generated content and other um, right. older catalog content that is going into some of these fast channels or the YouTubes and all that, where it's, um, you know, when, when you're dealing with the SVODs of the world, the Netflixes and the Hulus, the Amazons, you get paid a license fee for a license period. You know exactly what your ROI is going to be, and then you make your decision on what you're going to localize in which territory. When you're going into a lot of these fast channel platforms, you're getting paid on rev share, and you get paid 90, 180 days later based on what the advertising is, and you're kind of flying blind. And so you have a lot of old content that's actually never been localized before. And that content, a lot of that content is never – it may not be suitable to go through a, a traditional LSP process, or if it does, it needs to take an alternative path because the the pricing pressure is so is so downward for some of that content that that just doesn't generate enough revenue. Once you once you pay to localize it, you know, let's say you know thirty minutes or an hour of content um, translating to to French might be you know ten thousand dollars, whatever it is, but you may only get five thousand dollars back in some of these fast channels. So. We have to give an incentive to people to to localize content that's never been localized before. Right, and, and whether and, and we don't we don't know yet which way that's going to go or or evolve. Right, and it, it, it's it's a lot like what we saw with machine translation. Right, when machine trans when we are at the same point on the maturity curve as we are now with AI, we were at that point with machine translation at one point, which you know could be said to be a form of AI. Right. Um, but without getting into the details on that, 
is, you know, the fear was machine translation was going to come in and it was going to take everybody's job and it was going to replace translators. And what actually happened was machine translation came in and allowed organizations to translate more because now all of that help content, all of that user-generated content, all of that stuff that wouldn't make sense to localize, uh, pay a human to localize just because the cost-benefit didn't work out, well, we can run that through a machine translation post-editing workflow or just a raw MT workflow. And who right. cares if the quality's great? It's better than nothing. And I kind of see that happening even more so now with, with the, all of the new technology that's coming out. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So from the very beginning, we started saying, well, AI won't replace your job as a, a content translator. It's going to help you to achieve more uh, content tra being translated as an LSP or a human translator. Yep. And um, and it, not anytime soon, it's not going to it's going to uh, replace any human's job, but it's going to be an essential tool. So in all these stages, all the adopters of MTs they've been benefiting greater than others who are not using machine translation because they have better scale and they, they have right. better, uh, faster process. And now it's a time I think you know, everyone has to use because otherwise it's hard to deliver all the content they, they were requested to deliver. Well, yeah, and that, that's, the, that's the paradox, I guess, is that you say, you know, people are, you have to comfort people like, oh, machine translation is not gonna take your job. AI is not going to take your job. And people have one of two routes that they can take. They can either embrace the new technology or they can fight it. And fighting it means different things. You know, some want to impose regulations and stuff like that. Um, some want to try to convince clients that it's a bad idea. Um, whatever that fighting it looks like. And the, 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 the funny thing is, is that people that are afraid of losing their jobs and decide to fight it, they're the ones that end up losing their jobs because they're going to lose that work to another provider that is embracing the technology. Yeah. Clients exactly. want providers to yeah. lead the way with technology. Yeah. To your second point, you know, the favorite quote I you know, take these days is, AI won't replace your job, but the person next to you who are using AI will. Yeah. So that's kind of the norm yeah. these days. And I think the fighting two parties are actually essential. And I think, you know, for the society to embrace a new technology, you know, both parties are very essential. Uh, for instance, when there's car invented, you know, there are people kind of fighting against it. And then without these people imposing regulations and all this stuff, you know, we won't be having the right traffic law these days. We'll be making a lot of cars. Yep. Prices, right? So yeah. I think I mean, it's kind of very... the way the, uh, the, human has been evolving in terms of society. I mean, just on a very basic level, I would, you know, just breaking it down, you know, who learns to drive a car on a manual anymore? I have four kids, not one of them knows how to drive a stick shift, nope. right? It, it's, it's done. It, it, you know, we, we all drive automatic cars. It's easier. It's less, you know, strain on your legs. It's cars are now faster and more fuel efficient. Um, we, we've overcome the older way of doing things. Even pilots probably that learn how to fly planes these days don't, learn navigation based on the stars. They're, they're all using GPSs and, and, and latest technology. That's how we progress as a society in general. Agreed. I have this, I have a great presentation that I gave. Well, I mean, I, I should say it's great, but I have a presentation that I gave one time at, at a conference and it, it was basically called like the machines will not replace you. And there's a bunch of examples in it, you know, going all the way back to the printing press 
every time there's a new disruptive technology or innovative technology, there's going to be a cohort of people that fight it. Right. And history has shown that every time it doesn't, and, or people that are afraid of it, I should say. And um, every time history has shown that, you know, the world has not ended yet. <laughs> Life goes on and it, it's all good. I want to go back to one of the things I was reading in the article that you wrote, Tim, was about this context awareness in um, machine translation. I was wondering if we could just talk a little bit about that. Um, I'll, I'll read a quote here. Most machine translation models only translate sentences one by one, losing critical context that is outside of the primary sentence. In contrast, context-aware models use information throughout the entire text to better translate gender, slang, formalities, multiple word meanings, and other language intricacies. Context awareness allows the technology to truly localize content instead of simply translating it word for word. Our context awareness models are tuned for accuracy, often exceeding the expectations of translators while providing extraordinary consistency across the document as well as an entire series. So talk to me about context awareness and because... Um, I, I'm not I'm not a tech guy myself, but I was surprised when I read this because I was thinking, well, isn't this already being done by machine translation engines? And it got me thinking about it. I'm like, well, I guess not. I guess this isn't already being done for translation engines. So how new is this context awareness? Well, to explain this better, uh, I need to kind of explain the kind of background, the context a little bit more. Okay. Uh, well, in machine translation, the vanilla transformer model, most of, you know, companies are using for translation, is actually sentence by sentence model. It doesn't take much context, but I, I believe many uh, machine translation companies have tried some context to incorporate some context awareness there, but uh, not to the extent that we, uh, we did. Uh, because we are developing machine translation for translating colloquial data, colloquial data, and also conversational content. Uh, the context awareness we applied and invented and applied there is kind of very unique and worked so much well. Because uh, the vanilla transformer, the translation model, translate only sentence by sentence, it loses a lot of context within the paragraph or the content. So, for instance, uh, there are uh, information that is not in, for instance, English sentence, but has to be in the uh, French sentence. Let, let me give you an example. So, um, in, in English sentence, any pronouns doesn't have any gender in there, while in French, even pronouns has uh, genders. So, when you translate, put it in the back, put it in the back, we don't know it as uh, a feminine or masculine or even neutral. But when we actually have to translate that in French, it has to be having some gender in it, right? But if we look into the previous sentence, the previous sentence should say, well, I like the flower. Now we know the, the eat, the eat in the next sentence meant actually a flower, the flower, and then it, it should be a feminine in the French sentence, right? So only after looking to the previous sentences, we can actually better translate the current sentence. That's kind of the, the context awareness, uh, what context awareness does in machine translation. And then we extended that into a way we can extract the past context from the previous sentences and as, as long as possible to better, but no, to best translate the current sentence. And then uh, if you, we, we figured out not actually uh, many machine translation companies are doing that at all. 
and then not even anyone not anyone is actually close to the level we are doing so when you try uh, we actually have a validation set for specifically built for context awareness evaluation and then when we try that with uh, all other engines you know they are kind of far below than can deliver the context so actually this is one of the important things why ai cannot really couldn't do as much as uh, human translators or is translating things uh but i'll explain probably in the next question or some when we have more time for that but this context awareness is something that we we are kind of very proud of and then well, with this technology our quality level jumped by 10 percent point in all of all the language pairs we have so that's kind of where we started you know having bigger gaps between other solutions versus ours in content translation and on top of that all the context awareness i explained here is actually source context awareness Right. Meaning we are extracting context from the original language before translation. But in machine translation, target context awareness is something that never existed before because uh, it doesn't make any sense to extract context from the translated sentences in machine translation for two reasons. One, if there was no context existing in the source language, source sentence, then there is very low chance that the machine translation created some new context in the target context, target sentences, right? And also, number two is actually yeah, even it's if it's a copy some of a copy, right? Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Right. Even if there is some context somehow created by machine translation in the target translated sentence, because machine translation is not perfect, accuracy is not hundred percent. There is a very high chance there is a, some errors in the created context there. Right. So that's those are two reasons that nobody is using target context awareness, right? But we, because we are applying this into the uh, translation localization workflow where we work with the human translators, we know exactly the moment where they finish the post editing for the particular sentence, and then we can extract the context from the translated and post edited sentence to extract the perfectly curated target context, and then apply that to the next target sentence with a machine translation. That way we can save much more time from the, the post editors. Or well, yeah, and I remember back in the day, like actually writing like translation briefs for translators as a project manager. So before I'd hand it off, I'd be like, here's what you need to know about the context of everything. And it sounds like a mm -hmm. lot of that activity is just being done. I want, I want to give, if you can humor me for a second, it's May the 4th. So may the fourth be with you. It's may Star the fourth Wars. be with you. Exactly. May the fourth be with you as well. And yeah. so I want to give a really great example, and I'm quite proud of myself for finding a way to segue Star Wars into this episode. Um, a great example of context. I remember when uh, The Force Awakens or one of these Star Wars movies came out, or The Last Jedi, and there was a lot of rumors when the trailer came out about like what the plot was going to be because of the context of it. So this is just an example, right? In the trailer, Luke, I think, speaks the line and says, I know, I know one truth. It is time for the Jedi to end, right? And I'll just read it here. This is from, I gotta cite my sources here. This is from Mashable, I think. Um, that mic drop of a Luke Skywalker line from the Last Jedi teaser trailer reverberated around the world on Friday, with most fans assuming it meant Luke wanted to destroy the force-filled order to which he had devoted his life. But in France, at least, Star Wars fans heard something different. As pointed out by the website Le Point Pop, uh, the dubbed trailer ends with the line, Le temps est venu pour le Jedi d'enfini. 
um, which, excuse my accent, which translates to the time has come for the Jedi to put an end to it. So it completely changes the meaning of it. And I just remember, because I'm a Star Wars geek, that like when this was happening, everyone was just talking about this. Like, what does it mean? What does it mean? And because I'm in the translation industry, I was just kind of like, well, it's probably just a mistranslation. <laughs> Someone didn't get all of the context. So thanks for humoring me for my, my nerdy yep. um, quote there. Uh, back, back to our article here. I, I wanted to look at um, which quote, which quote. So many good quotes from this article. I encourage everyone to go check it out. Um, no, we covered that. And look at this one. It's important to have the right expectations when considering hyperlocalization, understanding that translations become more subjective and less literal due to the creative measures taken to meet the job's multi-dialect and technical requirements. And let's talk about accuracy a little bit here. Because when we're talking about hyperlocalization, we're talking about context-aware context translations, making it more contextual, making it more personalized. There's a trade-off sometimes, I believe, between accuracy and personalization or hyperlocalization. Because by the very definition of the word, when you're hyperlocalizing something, you're changing the sentence, you're changing the meaning to make it more relevant to local markets. So wh where do you draw that line? Um, is it different? Is it a case-by-case -case scenario? Because, you know, we all want hyper... I mean, I think most people would want localized, hyper-localized content, but they also want accuracy. So where are companies drawing that line these days? Where is it, where is it appropriate to draw that line? And so can, machi can machines help us understand where to draw that line? Yeah, we're actually kind of like you know, aiming to resolve this particular issue. And, then, you know, there's definitely a good trade-off between accuracy versus, uh, as you said, personalization, or I call it more of a creativity, creativity mm -hmm. in translation, because when you see, especially for temporal titles, sometimes they completely change the meaning to even better deliver what was actually the intention or to make the fun of the scene or something like that, basically. But when we use this kind of translation then sometimes it comes out of like no context and then make it kind of look very bad translation because it doesn't really make sense in that, that way. Even if we were translating that into that translated sentence in on other content, for instance. So uh, again, what we believe, truly believe, uh, will help us to solve this problem is personalization and context awareness. Combine all these two because now we know uh, when this creative translation should be applied uh, when it comes to this particular content and this particular context, and then when especially you know, translated by this particular vendor or LSP, for instance, right? In that way, we can apply more generic translation for more educational content where there's no joke is necessary. While uh, when you are actually translating a similar Star Wars in the next episode, and then we are you know, the, the same LSP who were translating the previous you know, episode is now translating the new episode. Now we have all the signals and then we can try to use those uh, more consistent translation for similar context, right? So I, I think this is a really good trans trade uh, trade off uh, issue we are thinking of. And then I think, you know, uh, the combination of personalization and context awareness is actually a good way to solve this. I used another word in there, consistency, right? 
Yep. And that's another dimension that I don't think we talk about enough because accuracy and consistency aren't necessarily the same thing. And mm-hmm. I've worked on programs before where the translated content was absolutely more consistent than the source content because the translators were actually fixing things. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of inconsistencies in the source content and because, because the content writers weren't using glossaries, right? Mm-hmm. They weren't using term bases, but the translators were right, using right. term bases. And machine translation is absolutely trained with term bases. Yeah, and there's a, there's, there's a, a kind of a phenomenon going on in the, you know, in the LSP world trying to keep up with all this content. We know that a lot of the um, translators in, in this world are freelancers and they work for multiple LSPs. And when they get, and, and we've seen this time and again, when they get some of those translators get overwhelmed with work, they bring in their cousin or their brother or their aunt to help finish the workload and get it delivered on time. Yep. And that's where a lot of a lot of inconsistency comes from by bringing in the machine translation and using that you can have a better consistency even if you have three or four different people working on the same project. Well, I mean, I, I back in my day when you had like a rush project, oh, I need 100,000 words translated by next Tuesday. It's like, okay, we can do that. And I'm going to assign 10 trans. I'm not going to do the math, but I'd figure out how many translators I need. I'd assign 10 translators, and then I'd have one reviewer, right? Because I want one reviewer going through and making it consistent because they're going to get a bunch of different types of translations. And so you need Mm -hmm. that one person. And that was always the bottleneck to have that one person. But the the way that um, large language models are processing content these days, there's absolutely no reason why you should need that one person just to do a consistency check. You can train mm-hmm. a language model and they can go through and fix all of that, that stuff on its own. That's for sure. Essentially. Yeah, that's for sure. Right. To keep the consistency over the parallel workflow or kind of like parallel threads, uh, we need better signals we need to deliver. To, to keep the consistency of certain content, for instance, to use the same vocabulary for the same concept, we need to deliver the proper signals. Well, this is uh, an episode of uh, certain series, or this is a, uh, a comedy genre or entertainment or something like that. So, so that the uh, models can also understand which consistency has to be going through to run this. All right, guys, I'm watching the clock. Let's see if there's any, I don't think we have any questions in the chat, but I wanna go back to XL8 and give, make sure I give you guys a plug here on the website www.xl8.com is actually, sorry sorry whoa whoa bad Tucker um, .ai is where you, where people can find out more information. Are you guys got any events coming up? You, you visiting, speaking, webinars, trade shows, demos? How, how can people find you out there? What's the best pe- way for people to hunt you down? We're all over the place. Um, we just came back from NAB. We, um, we will be at the OTTX conference in LA uh, in, in a couple of weeks. Um, there will be a Mesa conference coming up. Uh, it's the HITS conference in LA and uh, coming up in, I think it's a few weeks or early June. Um, there are also some conferences in Europe coming up. But we keep keep an eye out on on LinkedIn and and Facebook. We are constantly updating where we are and and what events we're attending. Only and feel free also if you if you're not 
Yeah, and, and if Facebook or or LinkedIn, and if you uh, if you haven't LinkedIn with Tim or myself or both of us, please feel free to uh, send us a LinkedIn. All right, you hear it, guys. Um, I'm not going to ask you about your client list. I, I've been wanting to ask you who you're working with out there, but we'll save that for a private conversation. Um, hopefully, you can keep growing that. <laughs> if anyone out there is listening and you know, one thing I, and I want to just give you guys a plug too, and you and other companies like you out there, um, particularly focused in the media and entertainment space, right here, here at Nimsy insights, we work with, uh, you know, LSPs. We also work with end clients and whenever end clients, I'm consulting with end clients and they ask, you know, who are some good media localization vendors out there? My response is always, you need to find a real media and localization LSP because every single LSP out there says they can do media and localization, right? But media, media, media and entertainment is, it's a different animal. It really is a different animal. All the things you alluded to some of these in the beginning, um, from subtitle, title, um, timing to dubbing considerations, it's a lot of stuff that a traditional LSP isn't going to be able to handle unless they have that experience. And from what it sounds like, you know, what we've been talking about today, it sounds to me that's kind of where you fit in is you are helping all LSPs to be more proficient and in, in streamline their media and localization workflow. Exactly. That is correct. All right. And, and, and for them to take and for them to take on more work and, and work, I'll just plug the LSPs allow them to take on work that they never would have taken on before at, at, at price points and, and, um, and, and content that was just not suited for localization prior. And for, to allow them to be able to have conversations about AI, about hyper-localization, about things like that with their clients. Because a lot of times, if we don't understand something, then we're afraid to have a conversation with our clients about it. And, you know, what I tell people is when it comes to technology, when it comes to machine, I've been using this line about machine translation for 10 years, but now we can apply it to AI, right? If you're not talking to your clients about machine translation, about AI, then you're going to lose your clients to somebody else who's talking about it. And notice I said talking right. about it. I didn't even say doing it, Right. But you need to be a thought leader. And if, if you're an LSP and you're listening out there and you don't and you're afraid to have those conversations about AI, well, fake it till you make it, I would say. You know, I shouldn't be saying this in public. But even if you don't have mature solutions out there, at least have a line. At least have an elevator pitch. At least have something that you can say about the current technologies around uh, language that are happening right now so that you can facilitate that conversation with your client. And then you learn. Yeah. A lot of it's about education. We're, 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 you know, part of half of what we do is not necessarily even sales. It's educating. It's educating the market for the benefit yeah. of the market. Same thing, <laughs> right? In our industry, sales, sales is education a, a yeah. lot of time, right? Of course. Uh, it's, so that's, that's what I say. Well, any closing thoughts before we wrap it up today, gentlemen, any Last minute things you messages you want to make sure to get out there for everybody. Yeah, for LSPs, you just mentioned the fake it until you make it. So once you make it and then you want to make it real, you want to make it happen. The best way to start that is as we're talking to us, Joshi here, myself here. Uh, so we can actually kind of open and then have like open office conversation yeah. anyway, anytime. 
Yeah, we love nothing better than a good challenge. We love somebody to come and challenge us as to to why this doesn't work, and we'll, we'll we're happy to have that conversation and try and change your change your mind, educate you, and and work with you in any way we possibly can. All right. Yeah, is here. It's time. It's time. Is it right time plus? It's time. What, what was it? Right tools plus right time equals right workflow. I need to plug that one more time. Right tools plus right time equals right right workflow. You can find that over on multilingual.com. And I think we just heard it from these gentlemen. www.xl8, XL8, the number 8.ai. Contact these gentlemen and they will solve all of your problems in the world. And you will never have to work again in your life. So... That's our endorsement for these guys. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on the show today. I think I'll... Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a great conversation. And thank you for contributing to Multilingual as well. Um, I'll take us out here. So, ladies, gentlemen, chat. We're out of time for today. If you enjoyed this Nimsy Live experience, then join us next time on Monday, May 8th, when we are talking about... um, we're talking about something really cool. Um, let me find it here in my notes. Well, it's not in my notes, but there's another Nimsy Live episode. Jeez, Louise, I'm not prepared for this. Okay, if you are not already signed up for that, go sign up. We have a whole bunch of other things on the calendar. Uh, you can find that on LinkedIn.com. Go to the Events tab on the Nimsy Insights page on LinkedIn.com. You can also go to Nimsy.com forward slash events to find future episodes of Nimsy Live as well as pretty much all other events in our space, which is a really cool thing. If you're planning a travel budget for the next quarter, go check out Nimsy.com forward slash events. I appreciate our guests today, Tim and Josh. I appreciate my colleagues here at NMZ Insights doing all of the hard work so I can have these conversations. I appreciate everyone in our industry who fills out NMZ surveys and schedules briefings with our analysts so that we can include it in our published industry research. And finally, I appreciate you, the audience, who are joining us live today. Appreciate the dialogue and chat, everyone who left comments and questions, and especially criticisms. And with that, I look forward to next time. Cheers. Cheers.